Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Pelvic floor strengthening. It's more than just Kegels, and it can help with urinary issues, but also with problems from number two. So today I am joined by Sheree Teranishi Hashimoto from the Rehabilitation Hospital of the Pacific, and we're going to talk today about what are the common symptoms of weakness of pelvic floor muscles for men and women, how does this affect our urinary habits, and how can it also affect fecal incontinence or our bowel habits as well. There's a lot of folks who think that once they have these sorts of symptoms, there's not much they can do to strengthen the area down there, but you know, it can absolutely improve. So we are going to talk today about how that can happen, what you can do, and when you might need the assistance of a professional. So thank you for joining me today on The Body Show. Thank you, Dr. Kozak. I'm happy to have you here. Now let's talk about pelvic floor muscles. Where is your pelvic floor? The pelvic floor is at the base of our pelvis, so kind of at our bottom's end. Okay. That's where it's located. Mm -hmm. And so when it works well, everything goes well and you don't have any Mm -hmm. problems. If you need to go to the bathroom, you go. If you need to, number one or number two, no issues. Right. But what are the symptoms for men, and then we'll talk about women, Mm -hmm. when it doesn't work well? For men, what we'll see is sometimes increased urinary frequency, so going to the bathroom more often than what's considered normal, which is anywhere between five to eight times a day during the waking hours. So increased frequency, uh, occasionally um, waking up at night more often than once to also... How would we differentiate that from prostate issues? So it would be very similar. So the um, any male patient would need to check as well with their physician to see if they are having prostate problems. We can also see problems with urinary leakage, too, if something has happened to the prostate. So even those who have had surgery before, because one of the potential side effects of doing surgery for the prostate may be that there could be some urinary leakage afterwards. So that might be someone you would also see. Definitely. Yes. And... If someone were to have these sort of symptoms, they could check to see if it is from the prostate. If it is, Mm -hmm. there would be some potential treatments for the prostate that may include medications. Are there things they could do to strengthen the pelvic floor if it is related to the prostate and they don't want to take the medication? Is there anything in the realm of physical therapy that could help that, or do they really have to address the prostate first? Um, Usually we would like them to address the prostate. However, if it's more of a frequency issue, it would be looking at dietary changes that can affect um, fluid amounts or volume that's built up during the day, Uh, checking to see how much urine they are retaining, because if that's not taken care of, then we can cause other problems. Um, But we can assist with bladder training, so getting someone on a time schedule so things are not building up. Um, so much, I guess you could say. So your bladder is sort of like a stretchy balloon. Correct. And it can stretch quite a lot. Mm -hmm. But as it stretches, its ability to contract reduces. Correct, yes. And so if somebody doesn't recognize that their bladder is filling up with urine Mm -hmm. and they don't go when they need to, then potentially they could overstretch those muscles Mm -hmm. and they might not always go back to where we want them to. So is that part of the bladder retraining? That is, because we do want to avoid what we call a flappy bladder or a weak bladder where, yes, the bladder can no longer contract how it used to 
and we can't get out as much volume that we want to, which can cause other issues where the urine can potentially back up into the kidneys and cause you know, other devastating effects. Or we can lose that bladder function and we have what we call as overflow incontinence where the urine will just leak because it has nowhere else to go but out of the body. So yes, we do need to address that. And that could be men or women. Correct, yes. So what are some of the common symptoms for women of having problems with pelvic floor weakness? For women, a lot of times, the most common type is what we call stress incontinence, where we see urine leakage with any type of physical activity. So things that put pressure on the bladder, like coughing, sneezing, standing up from the chair. Okay, that's not normal? No, it's not. Ever? It no matter what your age? No matter what your age, you should not be leaking urine. Mm-hmm. So for some of my patients in their 70s and 80s who yes. say, I don't want to cough because I keep shishing myself, mm-hmm. that's not normal. That is not normal. It means that their pelvic floor has gotten weak and we need to address that. And regardless of how long they've been having the issue, what age they are, we can always help with that and make some improvements. We might not be able to get rid of the leakage completely, but at least lessen it or lessen the amount that comes out. So it seems like anytime I turn on the Lifetime channel, which I try and avoid because I, I can just <laughs> get sucked into whatever movie happens to be on and never want to leave the couch. But, you know, when you're watching those shows, why are there so many articles or advertisements, actually, mm-hmm. for, like, Depends? Right. I mean, it's like we're just assuming, okay, you know, this is the demo. I'm in the demographic now, <laughs> so I should I should take a look at these different incontinence right. products. Is that sort of... An easy excuse, maybe just not necessarily addressing the true issue? Correct. It is a very easy excuse because as we age, we all know our muscles get weaker. The pelvic floor, they do. Right? And that's the pelvic floor. They're muscles. If we don't exercise them and we don't use them, they're going to get weak. And so, yes, depends are kind of the easy route, per se, versus exercising those muscles. We always look for easy routes. (laughs) Okay. So Mm -hmm. exercising the muscles, which can help because that will help you to be able to strengthen that area. Correct. So you mentioned that the coughing or sneezing causing a little shishi leak. Mm-hmm. That's not normal. That's not normal. Because the sphincter is a muscle. The sphincter is surrounded by the pelvic floor muscles, and they should be strong enough to close off and assist the sphincter or close off the urethra, which is a tube from the bladder to the outside of the body, to keep that shut against any pressure being put on the bladder. And okay. Not, yes. Mm-hmm. Now, there are medications that are supposed to help with that. But I think sometimes I, when I have women who complain about incontinence, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little difficult because you think to yourself, well, if their problem is stress incontinence, right. then you need to strengthen the muscles. Correct. And you don't want to have leakage of urine from the bladder. Right. If their problem is overflow incontinence, mm-hmm. then you have a totally different situation. Yes. If their problem is bladder spasms, the medications kind of do different things. Yes. Not everything is fixed with like Detrol or Ditropan. Nope. And with those medications, that's usually used to treat more of what we call urge incontinence, which is where the bladder, like you said, spasms, and we're going either more frequently to the restroom or we're having accidental um, bouts of urine leakage on the way to the toilet or for no reason at all. And so therapy can help with trying to learn how to calm down the bladder through other methods besides medication. Um, Because yes, as with any medications that we take, there are related side effects as well that then we need to deal with. Um, Commonly dry mouth, more thirst because we're 
It's so ironic. You're like, you know, you take this bladder pill so you don't shishi all night. Yeah. And then you're thirsty all night and you mm-hmm. wake up with cotton mouth like I need some water. So it's this weird side effect. Right. Correct. That makes you thirsty mm-hmm. when you shouldn't be drinking. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We need better medicines for that because, you know, that that's not going to work. But I think um, it's more the education that there is therapy that can help um, besides just going straight to the medications. Now, you talked a little bit about different types of foods, dietary interventions, Mm -hmm. timing of liquids. I often find that I'll have folks that'll say, you know, I get up a few times at night to go to the bathroom. And then when I go, I'm thirsty now, so I drink a bunch of water. Mm -hmm. And then after I drink the water, I've got to go again in about an hour and a half, two hours. So we want them to not have to get up so frequently. Correct. Because that interrupts their sleep cycle. Yes. But... If they don't drink water when they get up to go to the bathroom, then they tell me they can't fall asleep because their mouth is dry. Mm -hmm. So are these the sort of situations where we really ought to try and maximize PT to really help them with bladder retraining and doing some Mm -hmm. type of therapy to help? Definitely. And what we'll always do is have our patients fill out what we call as a bladder diary so we can look at their different dietary habits and bladder or bowel habits as well. So we can figure out how to retrain them because it might be, you know, a matter of making sure at night, looking at the time to see, are you waking up at the same time every night? Because if it is the same time every night, regardless, it's probably more of a habit than an actual have to. So it's all those little things um, that we can take into consideration during therapy. All right, we're going to learn more about what are the little things and what are the therapies, and can you be doing some pelvic floor strengthening while you're sitting there listening to us right now? Possibly. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show, and I'm here with Sheree Taranishi Hashimoto from Rehabilitation Hospital of the Pacific, and we'll be right back with some more information on exercises you can do for pelvic floor strengthening. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Sheree Taranishi Hashimoto from Rehabilitation Hospital of the Pacific. And today we're talking about pelvic floor rehab. Where's your pelvic floor? Right where you think it is. And that's part of the area that helps us so that we don't have problems with incontinence, not just incontinence from number one, urine or shishi problems, but we're going to talk soon about incontinence from number two. So right before the break, we talked a little bit about certain foods and liquids and timing of having fluids so that you can Mm -hmm. avoid having these bladder episodes. And you mentioned that for some folks, it's just a habit. You know, they get up after a certain number of hours. And for those people who always say, oh, I got up, it's 2 a.m. again, this usually Mm -hmm. happens. That habit, if it doesn't bother their sleep patterns, if they can get up and go right back to Mm -hmm. sleep, should they really worry? Or is it just, you know, it's okay if they get up and then they happen to go to the bathroom because they're getting enough rest and feeling fine? Do we have to Does everybody have to stay in bed the whole time? Is it okay to get up? It's okay to get up. It's more, yes, looking at are they able to go back to sleep right away. If they're not, then it is something that we want to take a look at because they do need quality of sleep as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. Are there certain foods that irritate the bladder that that could potentially Mm -hmm. be something you just don't want to have? 
definitely. Um, some common things would be your spicy foods, uh, citrus foods. You know, there's a lot of things on our dietary habit list that are actually healthy for us, but irritating to the bladder. So it really is kind of pick and choose your battles, right? Uh, yogurt is good for our digestive system, but our bladder gets irritated by it. So pick and choose. Do you need those probiotics? I or, need caffeine. <laughs> and caffeine, as you know, it increases urine production. So that means you've got more urine to get rid of in a short amount of time. And so don't have affect, it at night. I would say don't have it at night. But again, you know, everything affects each of us differently. And that's why we like to do the bladder diary. Because something like mangoes that might affect my bladder issues might not affect yours. A bladder mm. diary. Mm-hmm. What am yes. I writing down? So you're writing down um, when you go to the bathroom to urinate. If you've had problems with leakage, what types of activities you were doing at that time. Well, I don't want to write that down. Someone's (laughs) going to read it. (laughs) It is shared with your physical therapist or your physician, but it really gives us good information and insight. And a lot of our patients don't realize what their habits are until they have to write it down. Um, Sometimes we'll get patients that say, you know, I go to the bathroom all the time, all the time. I say, how many times? And they say, ah, all the time, all day long. And it's like, like well, you left the bathroom to come here. <laughs> right. So I'd like to say it's not, not all, all the, the time. time. And then you look at the diary and it's like, no, you're actually within the normal range. Maybe, yes, eight times during the day. But for them, it's affecting their quality of life. So we do want to help as well if we can. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think when you start writing things down and tracking it, a whole bunch of interesting information comes out of that <laughs> and not necessarily things you want to know. But right. OK, so so writing it down, keeping a list, mm-hmm. kind of keeping track, making sure that you share that with a professional. What are you looking for? You said you're looking for what might be normal. But mm-hmm. when you look at someone's bladder diary, is there something that strikes you as, oh, that's not normal? Well, I'm looking at the amount of time between bathroom trips. Basically, two to four hours is considered within the normal range. If it's every 30 minutes or every hour, uh, yeah, that's a red flag for me. Or if it's someone that's not going for eight hours and then they're wondering why they're leaking at that time, that's a red flag as well. Uh, Looking to see what things they're eating or drinking and how much fluid consumption they're having. If they're drinking, you know, a Pepsi every two hours, that's definitely going to make an effect. (laughs) Could that maybe be true? Okay. So, you know, take a look at the soda, take a look at the quantity of different fluids and see if that makes sense for their bladder habits. Mm -hmm. You mentioned if somebody doesn't go all day, that's not good. That's not good because our our bladder needs to empty. Like we talked about, um, you know, the bladder can fill up and start expanding and lose its um, strength to be able to empty. We also increase our risk of urinary tract infections the longer we hold that urine in there. And we don't want that as well. So if somebody has frequent bladder infections, Mm -hmm. could it be that they're having actually some issues with bladder capacity and not sensing when they have to go? Correct. Or it's also because their occupation doesn't allow them to use the restroom as frequently as they should be able to. So, you know, it's common in the healthcare field. I see a lot of our nurses, our physicians, um, also in education, our teachers, they can't leave the classroom. You are so staring at me right now. The restroom. So, right. You know, and I timed it once and mm-hmm. I thought to myself, I, I never have time to go. And I thought, okay, I think I'm full of it, which, you know, I often do these little trials on myself <laughs> and this was one of them. And I'm like, I'm just going to write down the time, walk down the hall, 
go, come back, and write down the time again. Less than a minute. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had no excuse after that. I'm like, that's ridiculous. I'm complaining, but it's not true. So if you really need to go, you might be able to schedule yourself around that. It, to me, took writing it down, right? Saying, Mm -hmm. how long does it really take? I'm complaining. I don't have five minutes. Really? Because 50 seconds is all you need. So, (laughs) you know, there may be some exaggeration, and I know I'm definitely guilty of that. Now, Let's talk about problems with fecal incontinence okay. because, you know, sometimes people say, okay, I'm fine on the bladder perspective, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily know that there are some treatments out there. The other aspect of the pelvic floor, which is sort of this area that wraps around the entire pelvis, right. includes the rectal sphincter, includes includes stool. And mm-hmm. there are people who, you know, that's that's a major issue. And often they don't want to admit it or talk about it. Yes, correct. So the pelvic floor does encompass the whole area surrounding the anus and the urethra, as well as the vaginal opening for women, but they all kind of function as a group. So what we'll see is many of our patients that are having problems with urinary incontinence can also be having problems with fecal incontinence. But yes, it's not talked about. It's kind of like a taboo topic. Um, but we are it, breaking that taboo we today. We are. Because We're talking it about it. can be helped. We can address it just like we do with the urinary incontinence. So what do we do? It is um, just as we would treat someone with urinary incontinence, um, looking at why are they having problems with the fecal leakage? What are um, the symptoms? What might be causing it? Was there some other type of health condition? that might be contributing to it. But if it truly is more of muscle strengthening, we can definitely address that as we would for urinary incontinence too. Um, Looking at if it's more of a constipation issue. Same thing, looking at their diet, looking at their fluid intake, teaching them how to do a bowel massage to get the stools moving within the colon. Exercising. A bowel massage. Bowel massage. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We are going to definitely want to hear about a bowel massage, but I'm not going to do it during the break. I am here with Sharita Taranishi Hashimoto from Rehabilitation Hospital of the Pacific, and we come back. We're going to explain what is a bowel massage, why would you want to do it, and how can that really help you if you're having some issues with constipation or problems with going to the bathroom effectively and not having problems with leakage. We will be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Sheree Taranishi Hashimoto from Rehabilitation Hospital of the Pacific, and we're talking about problems with weak pelvic floor muscles. So right before the break, we talked about a term, bowel massage. Now, Mm -hmm. a lot of folks have constipation. They can't get their gut moving, and sometimes it's because they don't get their body moving. They're not getting up. They're not walking around. They're not doing things. But for other people, it really just is, and and I say to folks, you know, if you're if you're in your 80s or 90s, you know, you're not going to walk as fast as you used to. Your colon may not move as fast as it used to. Right. So sometimes you got to do some things to help out that movement and motion. Mm-hmm. So what is a bowel massage? And is it something you do yourself? Is it something you have somebody else do? What am I doing? 
Where am I massaging? <laughs> so initially, it's something that you want to be taught by a healthcare professional because um, we will be stimulating the colon to move in a certain direction. And our colon is wonderful and it listens to us. So if we stimulate it in the wrong direction, it will. And you will stop yourself up even more. Okay, so we don't want to go in the wrong direction. No, we don't. Okay. And um, basically, we are massaging on the outside of our body in our stomach area, our abdominal area, but following along the path of our colon. So going from the right side of the body, traveling up from the leg or the hip area, up on the front, up to right under your rib cage, coming across from the right side of the body to the left, following the rib cage, and then down on the left side of the body. So following the colon. But again, there's different stroke techniques that we teach, and you should be educated by a healthcare professional. Yeah, do not try that mm -hmm. at home. Correct. And definitely don't try that in the car, because then if it does work, <laughs> you're going to wish you were home, Correct. and that's that's not a good thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there is there are some techniques you can learn right. from a professional. And it's, it's simple. Um, it's something similar that parents are taught for their infants when they have when our babies have problems with going to the bathroom for number two. So that's when people are constipated and they mm -hmm. can't get stuff out. Correct. What happens when so much comes out, it leaks? What do you do about that? Mm -hmm. So with that, it is learning how to do your kiggles as well. Um, kegels help back there too. Kegels help back there too. Kegels are awesome. They kegels, do everything. Yes, they do. They we help should be doing kegels right this for a minute. Part. We should. How do you do a kegel? To me, it's like thinking about trying to stop your urine stream or trying to hold back gas. Um, so either of those two things. Just pretend okay. you're in public. Mm -hmm. You're on air on the radio. And you cannot make those kind of noises. Yes. And you can't leave. So that's right. that's what you do. Or you're in the elevator and it's full and you don't want to let that gas but out. But if it's full, you could blame the person next to you. I mean, just look shocked <laughs> and just hope you don't know anyone else in the elevator. <laughs> Okay, but so yes. there are some times. But you don't necessarily want to practice Kegels when you're peeing. No, definitely Because that's not. like the wrong time. Correct. I mean, that's the opposite yes. of, of effective. Which is why you do want to see a physical therapist or someone that specializes in it. But like you said, um, if anything, we'll recommend trying to stop your urine flow just once. One time only on the toilet. Just so to that you know. To see if you can stop that urine flow or deflect or slow down that stream. But yes, if you do your kego, stop, go, stop, go, the bladder's like, what the heck are you doing with me? I don't know what to do. And we cause more problems. So do your Kegels, but not when you're in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing your Kegels, how do you know you're doing them right? Is that why you would see a professional have them sort of yes, give correct. you some information on what you're doing correctly? Correct, yes. So with a physical therapist trained in pelvic floor therapy, the things that we can do is to actually assess the pelvic floor muscles, so assess your strength, your muscle endurance, see if the muscles are even listening to you to begin with as you're doing your exercises, and kind of... Um, develop your exercise program that way. Can you ever do too many Kegels? Usually not. Most people, their muscles will fatigue um, by that time, and you're just not doing any good either way. And when you do the Kegel mm -hmm. exercise, when you do the contraction of the muscle, are you supposed to hold it, not hold it, mm -hmm. hold it for four seconds, five seconds, a minute? I mean... Right. Like, how do you... Do you really go for a minute? No. Usually there's what we call quick flex, so it's a quick squeeze, relax, squeeze, relax, which actually works more of the fast twitch muscle fiber. So that's the oomph that you need to kind of hold back against that cough or hold back against the leakage with that sneeze 
Or, yes, there are endurance contractions where you're trying to hold those muscles for up to about 10 seconds. So 10 so. seconds. That's good enough. Mm-hmm. All right. And then multiple repetitions. Correct. Yes. So you could be doing Kegels right now. I would not know that. You would not know. And you should not know because I should not be using my larger butt muscles. You shouldn't see me bouncing up and down oh, so as don't I'm bounce. squeezing those okay. muscles. Yes. No one should be able to tell that you're doing them. You could mm-hmm. just be sitting there right now in your house yes. Kegeling away. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, what are some other treatments that can be done for fecal incontinence? Because I think, you know, bladder incontinence, we do have treatments, we have physical therapy, mm-hmm. we have medications, and then there's always those those products advertised when I seem to be watching television. I'm living up to my demographic. Depends and all <laughs> those sorts of products, which are great if you need them. Right. And I certainly don't want to take away from people who need to use those. Mm-hmm. If that right. is their only option, please do so. Yes. Um, but are there other options similar for fecal incontinence? Um, as far as the depends, yes, it's similar uh, with physical therapy treatment. Yes, we do use um, other things like biofeedback where we use um, stickers on the outside to show what the muscles are doing um, for you as well as we can use what we call as electrical stimulation to help to strengthen the muscles um, a little bit stronger than what you can't do on your own. But again, that's if your nervous system is intact and working properly and nothing has happened to them. So that's a question that comes up. Mm-hmm. For someone who has those difficulties, the, who has impaired nervous system function, mm-hmm. where the nerves have been severed or for whatever reason yes. they don't work, they're not necessarily going to be able to respond to some of the treatments. No. But there are some things, if you have a functioning system, and you would be able to know. If someone yes. was referred to you and you did some evaluation, you'd be able to say, okay, these are the areas we can improve on. These are maybe some areas that we don't think you could get better at because of these other reasons. Correct. Yes. Are there medical conditions that make doing the treatments difficult? Uh, there are um, some common medical conditions that can um, increase symptoms. So commonly uh, diabetes, uh, patients with Parkinson's disease, uh, where the nervous systems are affected. So even someone with a spinal cord injury, um, depending if all of the nerves are damaged or not, uh, strokes? Strokes, definitely, because muscles are weak. And so even if it's on half of your body, it's half of the pelvic floor that gets affected. So, yes. Um, women that have had babies, as you're going through trial delivery, even if it's not a vaginal delivery, just the pushing prior to the C-section can damage the pelvic floor. Yes. Yeah, so lots of different things that can contribute. Does anybody come to mind that you can think of for whom you had a successful treatment outcome. I mean, you were at work today. Are there folks that you look back and go, wow, they came to me and their problem was so severe and now they're doing fabulous? Uh, There's so many success stories. You know, about, I want to say 80% of our patients that seek treatment are able to be helped and improved. Um, I did have a patient that when she was first referred to therapy, she was having Uh, urine leakage pretty much weekly with her activities, and she loves to exercise, uh, but that was kind of keeping her from her regular routine. Uh, We saw her for therapy, and till this day, which is probably about four months since she started, she has not had very much leakage, and she's just so thankful. She's telling everyone about it because she wouldn't have known had she not come to therapy, and that's exactly what she says. 
So for those people who want to go to therapy mm-hmm. because they've either heard the show or they talk to their friends and they go, I think I have a problem. I need to have this checked out. Yes. How do they go about that process? Well, for Rehab Hospital of the Pacific, it would be a therapy referral to our clinic. And it can state whatever type of issue um, that they're having, the different type of incontinence. But it is a simple therapy referral. And physical therapy covered through insurance yes, correct. shouldn't be an issue. Mm-mm. And there are some experts locally here on yes. Oahu and also on some of the neighbor islands correct. that have availability so they can help people as well. Yes. And there are, you know, not that many of us that specialize in this area, but we do have great therapists in the state. And so I would definitely recommend you seeking out um, a healthcare provider that can look at or help you treat the incontinence issues. Well, and if you're embarrassed to talk about it, mm-hmm. it's even more embarrassing if it happens and you don't talk about it and you don't alert somebody to get some help and to get referred to folks right. who, like yourself who really have expertise in this area. Right. All right. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today here on The Body Show. That's Cherie Taranishi Hashimoto from Rehabilitation Hospital of the Pacific. And if you or someone you love has some problems with urinary or fecal incontinence or have issues moving their bowels, there are definitely things they can get to help them. Some exercises, medications, etc. Don't be embarrassed. Do talk about it if you have an issue because really it can be transformative if you can have those issues taken care of. No side effects with exercise other than getting more exercise. Our engineer today is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week when we talk some more about health topics that hopefully concern all of us right here on The Body Show. See you then. Woo!